everything through the lens and the eye of hope. That regardless of what is taking place in your life, I don't care how devastating, I don't care how ugly, I don't care even how much it looks like the devil has a hand in it, but to live from the reality that God can and will turn all things together around for good. And that he's capable, he's able, but that even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of brokenness, no matter what it looks like, that God is able, that when we invite him in, you know, I was talking to my husband um, a couple days ago, I actually texted him, and I was like, I am not functioning well, I'm just not functioning, like I, you know, I, my brain was freezing, my body was numb, you know, just a lot of tragedy around us at this time, and um, and it was funny, because I said to him, I'm like, I'm praying in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in tongues. And then afterwards, I actually just started crying and crying and crying. And I said, oh, praying in tongues and crying is the key to life. <laughs> like, crying and, yes. really, when you hold it in, your body just goes into the walk. Yes. Like, walk. Like, you know, I'm walking through a grocery store, like, uh, I can't move, I can't think, I can't. But crying is, I mean, the Lord in all of his wisdom, he gave you these beautiful tears, and they're washing, and praying in tongues. Like, those two things. You do those two things, and you are in it to win it. <laughs> you will be okay. Um, but yeah, I just want I just speak that over your life and your circumstances. All things are redeemable. I don't care what it is. I've recently been reflecting on the life of David, and the tragic mistakes that David made, and just... The circumstances in his life, but at the end of the story, that because he turned his heart to the Lord and he had a repentant heart, the Lord is able to restore and redeem all things. And so live in that hope and in that reality. Um, what we're going to do today, this is actually kind of exciting. We, I can't say our strength is like strategic thinking, like planning and stuff like that, but every once in a while, things like happen and you're like, wow, that works. And if we actually were like put the forethought in to say that we thought of that, we'd look pretty smart. <laughs> but I will say, we're doing prophetic history today, and then after today, we're actually doing our, our training for our worship leaders and our prayer leaders. And many of you that have been to the training know that we try to do an overview of some prophetic history to give clarity into our prayer mandates and our directives. So it actually works out, I think now, annually, we'll do our prophetic history the same way that we do our training and melt it all as one um, because it all really fits together as far as what we're praying into for the city. If you guys want to turn to Matthew 5 with me. This is going to be a little different. Um, a little bit a different, of, huh? We like different. This is going to be a little more relational, a little more understanding what God has set us here in the city to do. Um, yes, there is scripture and there's prophecy and all of those things, but it's also um, a little bit more on the relational side of understanding who we are as Hilltop, the identity that God's given us, but also why do we have a house of prayer and what are we praying into and what are the promises that God has given us? I'm going to start out, for those of you that don't know, because I know that there's some people that have heard prophetic history in the room probably five times. Go ahead, raise your hand if that's you, five times. And you can give it back to me. Like, you could tell me the prophetic history and go through. And when I start a story, I see the head nod. Like, I like this one, you know? Um, and then there's others of you that it's completely foreign. And I go a little bit fast because it's a lot of history. And so as a, you can tell, people are like jolted in their head sometimes. They're like, how did she go from, wait, what? She was single and all of a sudden she was very heavy. Like, you know, like, it's just like, whoa, that was a span of five years. But for those of you that don't know, as a single young adult, I had started the House of Prayer. Um, my husband and I got married, I want to say like the first year or two yeah, it was like the first year or two that I had started the House of Prayer. So before I say anything, obviously there's a lot of this that, um, you know, I had done solo. 
But I just have to say, my husband coming into the storyline, story I have the utmost respect for this man. He is extraordinary, not only, and I, I'm going to be very honest before I even start this story, is that when I got married, I clearly realized that I started a work in a ministry that maybe I was going to have to lay down and pass the baton to someone because I was now entering into a marriage. And obviously my husband was a worship leader. He, he prayed, all of those things. But I understood that there might be a friction and melding marriage and ministry and who I was and the role I had always played. And, and, you know, I, with all sincerity before the Lord, was just holding it. Especially, I got pregnant the first month we were married. Oh, boy. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I got married, got pregnant, I peaked for nine months. And so I had a ministry that was, like, a year old, and I could not get an ounce of strength. Where's the life? Well, life had, like, just started his internship, and I was like, peace out. <laughs> that was excellent. Um, but anyway, Daryl comes into the storyline, and in all honesty, I peaked for nine months. And he really picked up there, and, and really, it really became his own, and even during that process, I watched as we, we, before we were married, we went from certain decisions that we were making of, like, do we live in Boston, do we live north of the city, because he was working in New Hampshire, and before we got married, it was things like, well, that's your thing, you started that, so, like, kind of like, you know, I'll support you, but, and then it really changed to a place where it became his own. And really now I'm walking alongside of him, and we're, we're walking together. But I have to just say, you know, his heart of humility, but also just walking and watching him through this process has been an extraordinary thing. And so that's a little of the backdrop, because if you're kind of, when I talk about like wandering the streets homeless, like in Cambridge, and you're like, wait, where was her husband? He wasn't there yet. <laughs> I wasn't married. He was thinking I was a little crazy, actually. <laughs> so, um, but anyway... Really? Oh, hi. Oh. Are we going to team tag team for each other? That's great. <laughs> I love We're testing the house. Does it work? It's in the house. It's in the Do you want me to use that? Sorry. Not yet. Okay. We're working on it. Um, so for those of you guys that don't know, I actually had the privilege of, and my high school years were very extraordinary years. I went to a private school with alternative education and did a lot of hands-on, and because of that, I had the opportunity in my high school years to kind of choose some of my courses. So I chose revival history to be one of the things that I would study. <laughs> um, so I got to spend a lot of time studying revival history. That was a huge blessing. Um, and in one of my courses, uh, one of the required readings was a book. And I'm going to highly recommend it um, if you're here in the city and this is home for you. Even if it's just for a season, it's called The Light and the Glory by David Manuel and Peter, um, yeah, David Manuel and Peter Marshall. The Light and the Glory. As I read that book, I was 16 years old, and my life was ruined. Like, still to this day, I can honestly say that when you're in those seasons of prayer and fasting and just, like, weeding through, okay, God, what have you called me to? What is it that I'm supposed to be going after? I still go back to things that God spoke to my heart at that season when I was 16. And that book, The Light and the Glory, what, ha what it is is it gives the Christian history um, of the New England region, but specifically during that time, it was um, there was three components that really struck my heart. Number one, it was John Winthrop when he was aboard the Arabella. How many of you guys know he wrote the model for Christian charity? And when he wrote the model for Christian charity, he's literally sailing to come over to the New World to found, you know, basically um, the founding of America. As he's aboard the Arabella, he writes the model for Christian charity, and as he's penning it, he actually quotes Matthew chapter five. And he's, he's speaking about the intended purpose. I'm going to just give you a little bit of what he wrote here. He says, We shall find that the God of Israel is amongst us, 
when ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, when he shall make us as a praise and a glory that all men shall say of succeeding plantations, may the Lord make it like that of New England. For we shall consider that we shall be a city set upon a hill, and that the eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work, that we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his presence, present help from us, that we shall be made a story and a byword amongst the world. He goes on to say that they shall open up their mouths of the enemy to speak evil of the ways of God. He's basically speaking about New England, how succeeding plantations and the nations of the world will look at it as a model, and that if the glory of God and the presence of God is to be found there, it will be a praise to the nations of the earth. But if not, it would actually become a curse in the nations of the earth. So he goes on and then he says, but if, we, but if in our hearts we shall turn away so that we do not obey, but shall be seduced and worship other gods, our pleasure and profits and, and serve them, this is propounded upon us this day. We shall surely perish out of the good land, whither as we pass out of this vast sea to possess it. Therefore, let us choose life that we and our seed may live by obeying his voice and by cleaving to him, for he is our life and our prosperity. And the extraordinary thing is he's basically saying that the stakes are very high because we are in covenant with God. And if you guys read the entirety of that, but he also goes on to talk about as far as it being the stepping stone for the gospel to the nations of the earth. That they weren't simply coming just to find a good place to dwell, but they were coming to find a place of religious freedom that the gospel might be preached to the nations of the earth. So I can remember reading the words of Governor Winthrop, and as I'm reading them, thinking, God put a dream in this man's heart. There was a dream that God gave to him. And I remember thinking, like, I want to see God's dream for New England. And during that period of time, you know, we also studying Jonathan Edwards. How many of you guys have studied anything of Whitfield or Finney or Jonathan Edwards? Um, Jonathan Edwards actually wrote, um, did I, did I, I'm sorry, did I give you the name of Winters? He wrote a model for Christian charity. Jonathan Edwards wrote, um, A Humble Attempt. Has anybody ever read that, A Humble Attempt before? What he says in a, in a Humble Attempt, and we have to understand, he wrote A Humble Attempt after the first and the second Great Awakening. And so after he had seen two extraordinary moves of God, he begins to pen what he feels like the, the Lord is showing him and spoken to him. And what he says is that out of New England would come an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to, to the nations of the earth in one generation. And he's, he begin, he's giving a charge, actually, to the pastors and the leaders. He's encouraging them and saying that there, there's going to be an extraordinary united effort of prayer. And when that takes place... The gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. Now, now, mind you, these gentlemen didn't know that in future generations, this geographic location would become a place where the nations of the earth are amassed because of education and to get degrees. They had no understanding what ultimately would come of the nations of the earth gathering here. But in a very practical sense, because the nations of the earth have gathered here, there is a place of influence that it affects the mind intellectually but also whatever thought process and patterns are established here are exported, and they do influence the nations of the earth. And so from, from those two things, you know, as a 16-year-old girl, um, I just began to think, I want to live in New England the rest of my life, and I just want to see these words happen. I want to see God's heart and God's dream. And what we need to understand is that when God declares his purposes, 
when he says, this is my intended will and purpose, we have to understand that that doesn't necessarily change and that doesn't get aborted because men disobey. If you look at even Israel, Israel was in a continual pattern of wandering and rebelling, and, but God was always speaking redemption and hope. He was declaring, this is my desire for you. And yes, there is a process where man's cooperation and participation and obedience can delay and it can cause us to take a longer journey than necessary. There's places where our, partici our participation, it, it, it's part of the process, but it never is a place where God says, okay, my, my will and my purpose, never mind, I changed my mind about you. It's declared, it's spoken, it's, it's, it's prophesied, and what it requires is us as individuals to get a glimpse and get an image and an understanding of this is God's heart, and this is his desire, and walking onto that. And what I want us as a community to understand is, you're not just here to go to school, you're not just here to start your business and make money, you're not just here for life and existence unto self. You are here because God has a, a purpose and a desire. He has a dream for the New England geographic location. And you have to understand that just even as we all know Harvard influences the world. We understand that it influences the world in areas of government and law and all of those things. But you need to understand it's only a window into the redemptive purpose of the New England region. That God has called New England to not only educate people for the purpose of them gaining intellectual understanding, which I will say, apart from God, it's, it's pretty um, non-beneficial. I mean, we've actually seen negative things coming from that, but we need to understand his redemptive purpose is to influence the nations of the earth with light and with truth, with the glory of God and with the knowledge of God, and the understanding of the, the capacity and the capability and the potential of what God what God can and will birth from this geographic location because the influence that it does have. So it was around, I'm actually going to give you this baby. I'm sorry, too many things up here. It was around that period of time that, like I said, I kind of locked on to this is what I want to do. I don't know what it will look like. Um, but it was around that period of time that I began studying. How many of you guys are familiar with the Moravians? They had a hundred year prayer meeting that took place, um, and long and the short of it, it was pitiful, it was weak. I actually went to Heron Hunt into their watchtower. It was small, it wasn't a stadium prayer meeting, it wasn't a massive gathering. The watchtower had two by two every single hour. Two people committed to pray every single hour, and they were praying for the nations of the earth. And when you study the missions movement, when you even study the, the awakening that took place in New England, you actually see that this little Moravian community started with a handful of about 20 to 30 young adults. And from this community of people, missionaries were sent to the nations of the earth. And actually the awakening that took place in the New England area was a byproduct of the Moravians because of the witness that they had. And it came out of them just praying two by two. And it was also during that time, how many of you guys know that it, uh, it was like around 1999 that... Um, IHOP KC started. Like, House of Prayer, that reality was, like, really, really new on the scene. Um, the year 2000, this is kind of where it kind of introduces us into J-Hop and the, the starting of J-Hop. And the year 2000 is the year that I was introduced to the, the gentleman. Many of you guys might have met him when he was just here for March 1st when we started our fast. Did you guys get to meet Lou? Um, around that period of time, I want to highly recommend our community. You should read the book, Digging the Wells of Revival. All of you should read it. 
And even if you're not a reader and you can't make the whole book, you should read the last chapter on the Nazarite vow. It is, it is critical, necessary, and instrumental to our community. But I had read that chapter, and I remember reading that chapter. I hadn't met Lou Engel yet, but I remember reading it and thinking, that whoever this is has just given words and language to what's in my heart. I had never read something that so entirely spoke to what was in my heart. So long story short, Daryl was in a band called End of Silence. Yes. They went big time. <laughs> so anyway, Lou had come out to mobilize for the call uh, DC at that time, and we were helping him mobilize New Hampshire. And that was actually like when we met, and God just really knit our hearts together in 2000. Um, I, I never would have imagined what would have come from that. I thought it was just a spiritual father that I identified with his message, but the way that he's carried us and how he's been instrumental. So what happened was the call happened. For those of you that don't know what the call is, there was about 400,000 young youth and young adults that gathered on the Washington Mall. Um, and it was a solemn assembly. It was 12 hours. When I say we prayed and we fasted, we all fasted liquids for 40 days before. <laughs> I mean, it was such a crazy season. We all stayed out in the hot sun for 12 hours, praying and fasting for the nation. And it was extraordinary to see. I mean, it wasn't a concert. There was no fancy lights. It was Lou up on the stage rocking with his raspy voice in, in desperation for, yeah, for God to move in our nation. And to see such a, a youth movement, I to this day haven't seen anything like it. I have not seen anything as authentic and sincere and pure. And so that was in 2000. And what happened is, is after, right after that, I got a phone call from Lou saying, we want to do a call in New England. And I remember thinking, like, what does that even mean? And the extraordinary thing is he basically said, he said, I was on the phone with, I won't say his name, but a, a governmental leader. And he said the governmental leader was saying that nobody is, fault, is targeting false ideologies that are coming out of Harvard. And their understanding was there's an ideological battle. Everything that we're all concerned about that's taking place in America Everything that we're concerned about in our godless society, all of those things that you may see on the news or discuss with other Christians that are of great concern, they start with an ideology. They start with a belief system. And what we're seeing manifest is the fruit of a belief system. And many of those things are taught in our universities because we're void of God, we're void of the fear of God. And the root of it is humanism, that somehow thinking that man out the in and of himself has wisdom, has knowledge, and has capability. Yeah. And without understanding that without God, we have nothing. Yeah. Apart from God, you know, I just had this conversation with somebody this week about an issue of sin in someone's life, and they said, could you believe that that person would be capable? Like, almost like the atrocity of, like, how could that person? And, I, and I, my simple reply, as much as no, I didn't think that they were, my reply was, apart from God, we're all capable. There is no boundary line. Apart from the fear of God, apart from his presence, his holiness, being under the conviction of sin, we are all capable. The, the ground is level. There's none of us that is not. And see, that's what we have to understand is that even in politics, we begin you know, to reason and try to rationalize you know, crisis in culture and what is happening with American culture. And the issue is it has nothing to do with anything other. We have departed from the fear of the Lord. Yeah. That, that 
That is it right there. You can try to solve it with issues of race, with issues of poverty, with issues of whatever it may be. The root issue is we as a nation have departed. You know what it actually is? It's what, it's what Governor Winthrop said. It's exactly what he said, is that if we remain in the fear of the Lord and honoring him, we'll be a praise in the nations of the earth. But if we depart from that, we will become a byword. We'll become a mocking place because of what is taking place. And if you look at our society, the issue of abortion, the issue of pornography, what is being exported, it is the fruit of, of departing from the fear of the Lord. So the call took place, and then we did the call in New England. And the extraordinary thing is, at that time, um, the main focal points of that specific call were um, the root of revival history that is here in New England. That's what we prayed into. We also prayed into the issue of the college campuses in the Northeast and God's redemptive purpose for a student missions movement. This was in 2001. I'm going to go into more detail on these things. But the student missions movement, um, and I, think, I mean, those were the two main things, I think. Um, and obviously the issue of education and intellectualism. But it was during that time that Lou had asked me, it was probably the most meaningful thing that I as a person can do, it, it, like because of my history, but also for who we are as a community. Lou had asked that we would do a segment of renewing covenant with the Lord on behalf of New England. And so he had asked me to do the segment of actually reading Jonathan Edwards' prophecy of a humble attempt, and then an extraordinary move of prayer would come. And then the gospel will be preached to the nations of the earth. And so in 2001, that's actually what I did on behalf of New England, is I made covenant with the Lord that we would see his will and his promise come to pass, that there would be an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. So the call took place in 2001. I, at that time, to be honest with you, I was heavily involved with the compassion ministry. Daryl and I were, I think we had started, have we had to start the church plant yet there? We hadn't started it. But we were doing compassion ministry um, with an organization called Somebody Cares. So I was working with, you know, orphans and prostitutes. And, and at that time, you guys may have heard this story before. There's a place called Bradford College. And around 2003, 2004, it was a liberal arts school. It's the town that we live in now. If you've been to our home where we live, the town that we live in, um, Bradford College was a liberal arts school, and it, it shut down, and, and it became vacant and empty. And I don't even remember who said something to me about it, but I remember prayer walking there one day. And I was, as I was prayer walking there, the Lord specifically spoke to me about the Moravian lampstand, and the three things that he spoke to me is he said that out of the Northeast, we will see a missions movement. But he began to speak to me that it would be very different than the former missions movement. He spoke to me three specific things, that it would be house of prayer, compassion, and church planting, that there would be a threefold cord for the future missions movement, and those three operating together. Because how many of you guys have studied the missions movement? I mean, there's sincere desire and attempts that have taken place, but they usually fizzle out very quickly, and they're failed attempts. There's lack of fruit. How many of you guys have read anything in the missions as far as people sowing their life in very hard and difficult places and seeing such limited fruit, and then they come home disillusioned and all of those things? But really, from the place of it being a praying community, that we have no intention other than to seek the heart of God and to pray for geographical locations and to see the inbreak of his kingdom. And from that place, seeing the gospel preached and from that place. So anyway, I start um, praying into this college campus. It's abandoned. And the Lord begins to visit me through dreams. Like, I start, I don't even get into the details of it, but I think I should study the history of this school. 
This specific college campus is actually where, how many of you guys are familiar with Adoniram Judson? He's actually the first missionary that was ever sent overseas from the New England. Most of you, if you know any history, he was sent from the Salem Wharf in Salem, Massachusetts, but actually the commissioning took place from Bradford, Massachusetts. So what happens is, is there's an all-girls school. There's a girl named Anne Hazeltine. Her father's on the board. They actually start something called the First Board for Foreign Missions. They have Anne Hazeltine, Adonai Judson, they're newly married, they commissioned them. It was like the very first in the U.S., the very first commissioning of missionaries and sending them overseas that took place in Bradford. This same school, this all-girls school, experienced, you guys familiar with Williams College, the revival that took place at Williams College? They experienced, between Williams and this school, they were experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when you read the textbook, I don't have it with me today, when you read the textbook and, and go through the history of the school, it actually says that when you stepped onto the campus at Bradford, it was like stepping under the thunderings of Mount Sinai, that they were having such a visitation from the Lord. So Anne Hazeltine, Adonai Judson, they're commissioned from this college campus. So I started going, oh my goodness, this campus is literally the well in the history for foreign missions in New England. Like, we're praying for this, we're praying for it at the call, we're believing God's going to do this, but this is the well. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, God has to, like, redeem, restore, and preserve this. So we go into, like, probably, what, like a five-year prayer walking the campus, and when I tell you there's crazy things that take place, you know when you lock on and you feel like you hear something from the Lord, and you're kind of like, okay, God, confirm this? I'll never forget this one intercessor lady from someplace in New England. She came to meet us there. And she's like, I'm going to come back here every single, once a week, and I'm going to come pray here. She ends up calling me on the phone. She's like, Bethany, I have an eight-year-old daughter, she, I have a granddaughter. She's like, I took her to the campus and told her I was just going to take her someplace to do a picnic. She said, when we got to the campus with our little picnic basket, she said, she had no idea what you guys were praying. She has no idea the history of the college. She said, as soon as we stepped foot on the ground, she said, my little granddaughter started trembling. And she started, started saying, Grandma, I see missionary. I see missionaries. She said, there's missionaries, and they're going all over the world. Wow. And so she called me weeping, and she's like, Bethany, this is real. And, you know, it's one of those things where we're just praying, we're watching with the town, they're wanting to auction off because they're historical buildings. It's a beautiful campus. So all during this time, we're watching kind of all of this battle taking place over this campus and just saying, God, this is the well for foreign missions. Adam Arnett Judson, you have to remember the, the financial seed, but also the lives that were sown that came out of this place. And do it again. Do it again in our day and in our time. So it's during that time we're praying. I go, this is a crazy story. I go to Pasadena. At that time, Lou was wanting all of us to move to Pasadena and start a house of prayer. And so, <laughs> so I go to Pasadena. I wish I had the picture here. I probably have it on my phone. I go to Pasadena, and I've never been there. They tell me we're going to the Mott Auditorium. I don't know what that is. We step onto the campus, and there's a picture, like, on the front of the auditorium of just a man's face. That's all I see. I, as I see the picture, I start, so sorry if you're not Holy Spirit friendly and if thinking of manifestations and travail and things like that freaks you out, but um, I literally start, like, crying hysterically, trembling, can't even, and Lou's going, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm, I can't breathe. Mama tries to say, oh, we don't have iPhones back then. And so she literally has a disposable camera. She's so cute. Yep. She's like, we need to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Something's happening here. And I'm like, and I'm just like, and so Lou's like, you know, if you see the picture, he shows it. Like, and it's so funny because I'll get pictures from all over the world and like, my 
King keeps saying things. And Lou's like, <laughs> and there's this big John Armand behind us, John Armand, okay? So,
So we pray over this campus, pray over this campus. I'm like, okay, obviously God is speaking something. It's during that time I go to Redding, California. A friend um, had paid for me to go out to California for like two weeks, and there was meetings with like Heidi Baker and all these great people. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm still on my compassion track of orphans and prostitutes and poor people. I'm standing in the front of this auditorium, and one of the prophets that they have on staff out there, literally eyes wide open, he wasn't like, blah, blah, blah. You know? <laughs> he, nothing spiritual about it, he just looks right at me and he goes, Grab for college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm from Massachusetts, we're in California. <laughs> I couldn't even, and I just actually start weeping. Because to be honest with you, I had certain things and desires in my heart that I wanted to do, and the Lord just kept telling me, lock on to praying into this. I mean, it was like, you know, the mandate of my life. He said to me, Bradford College, and he, you know what he said to me? He said, the place where you stand when you start with Bradford. He said, it's the crossroads for revival to the nations of the earth. He, and you know what's crazy? He prophesied. I have a friend there recording it, so I listened to it later. But as he's prophesying over me, and I don't hear this when he's prophesying. I hear it when I go back to do a three-day water fast. But he says to me, he said, you will see an extraordinary awakening on the college campuses of Boston. And he said, it will be the catalyst for everything you have seen in your spirit for the gospel being preached to the ends of the earth. Amen. So he goes on to preach about campuses, Boston, you know, giving me this word about the missions movement. I'm obviously, all I hear is Brad from I'm like, this is happening! This is happening! This is really happening! So fast forward a little bit, you know, Lou ends up calling and says, we want to launch a J-Hop in Cambridge, in, in the Boston area. They had one in D.C. They were only like a year into it. And, um, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a Boston girl. I'm locked on to Bradford. <laughs> you know? I'm like, he's like, what's Bradford? I'm like, I told you a thousand times. Why aren't you listening? So I went through the whole thing. I'm like, John Armott, the Walter Missions Movement. I'm going through my whole thing. And, you know, he asks me three times. Three times I say no. The final time, I was like, okay. He's, I mean, he's always been instrumental in my life, so I was like, maybe he's on to something. Let's just see if the man has a word. So I tell the Lord, I'm like, I'll do a three-day water fast. If you don't speak to me a clear word, I have nothing in me for Boston. <laughs> I'm locked on to the missions movement and Bradford College. <laughs> so it was during that three-day water fast, the Lord just kind of reminded my heart. He was like, go back to that word from Reading, you know, that was so instrumental for you. I go back to it, and it's the first time. It's like the first time I heard him say, you will see an awakening on the college campuses of the Boston area. And it will be the catalyst for the next student volunteer missions movement. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, something, Lou, Lou has something here for Boston. So I began to put the pieces together and think, okay, I don't get all of this, and I don't understand all of this, but I think this house of prayer, Lou's hearing from the Lord, surprisingly. No, I'm just saying, that's not surprising. <laughs> so I just said to him, I was like, just so you know, I don't get any of this, and I've never been to Cambridge before. I just tell them, I was like, I go to Boston for the airport. That's what I go there for. I'm like, so if you think like Harvard, I'm one of those people that have like been there to use their library. So, long story short, I said to him, I was like, I know it's the Lord, so I will do this, but I don't know anything else. I don't know what else I'm doing. And in all honesty, it's that yes, if anybody knows Lou, 
within like three months, he was like, okay, we're going to be, I mean, it wasn't even from the time I said yes, it was a month later. He's like, okay, we're coming in with 60 young people. We need a place for all of them to sleep. We're going to do 24-7 worship and prayer. You know, and I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> so it starts us on this journey. And no lie, uh, uh, you guys know Dave Hill Sr. How many of you guys know Pastor Dave Hill from the Brighton area? He was like the first person I called. He was like, Bethany, that's a, a logistic and possibility like in Cambridge you will not get a location to sleep 60 young people and you I mean and he was right he was absolutely right he knew the area I mean now I know like every building and every square foot of this city and I've been in all of it and I viewed all of the houses because when I've been looking for them and I'm like that's a logistic impossibility but long story short when I literally drove down uh Starrow Drive I got off I didn't get off on the Harvard um exit there. I got off to get off into Central Square, because I actually didn't know how to get to Harvard. Uh, I got off in Central Square, and as I passed the First Baptist Church in Central Square, I'll never forget, I remember thinking, okay, there's the T. Okay, that's important. The T would be important. Never wrote one, but that would be important. <laughs> you know, and I remember looking at the building, and I'm, I'm very visual. I like things that look nice and stately and things like that, and I thought, and I like this building. I was like, I want that one, God. I want that one. And I was like, now let me figure out where Harvard is. You know, drove down Mass Ave, figured out MIT. I was like, okay, that's a good location. I want that one. I call it. I have like a month, and Lou's like literally calling the nation to come to Boston during their spring break. I'm like, whoa. Like, <laughs> we don't have a location. <laughs> so I call, and of course they laughed at me and thought I was very silly. Um, Shut the door on me. I searched for a month. I caught. I, I finally got to the place. I just went to like a regular phone book. Went to every church in Cambridge. Hi, can I rent your facility? I need to sleep 60 young people. We want to do worship and prayer for 24 hours a day for 40 days. You know, I went through my whole thing. Every person, click, click, click. It was a week before. A week before the 40 days. I called out. I said, at what point do we cancel this? Because I mean, I had people emailing like, I booked my flight, I'm coming for spring break, can't wait 40 days. I'm like, <laughs> like, this is scary. You know, and I remember going to my parents, they live 30 minutes north of the city. I'm like, how many people can you sleep in your house? <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my dad, my dad, he's like, you're on a safe journey, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> so long story short, Lou goes, we don't cancel. I'm like, okay, alright, we don't cancel. Here we go. I can remember people emailing, for addresses, I'm like, there's no address. Like, address. Like, this, this is like a nightmare. Long story short, I'm in like a big citywide meeting. Somebody stands up, it's like Bethany Yo, that was my maiden name. Bethany Yo needs a building. They want to pray for the city. I mean, out of the blue, someone's like, I'm gonna make a phone call. Another person pledged like five grand. They're like, what about five? I'm like, oh, you need money. That's right. You, have to write money. <laughs> you know, this whole thing was just so long story short, my building, my I would like that one, Lord. That's my ideal spot. First Baptist Church. We land there for 40 days. We the girls sleep downstairs, the boys sleep upstairs. Will Eifler, 16 years old on the I no, know. Wells was. Like, were you even married at the time? No. Amy, were you there? Yes. She was after me, but they weren't married yet. <laughs> yes, we were there for forty days, and no lie, every night, you know, we have public prayer meetings. There's non-stop prayer. You go through Central Square, you just hear worship. Every night, there's open prayer meetings, and the city, the the region, came out during the forty days. Every night, Lou would stand up and be like, Bethany's going to start a house of prayer. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man, I don't even know what that means. Long story short, like the last day, Lou's leaving. He's like, so what, what's now? 
practicals were just not there. <laughs> you know, and so literally, he's like, so where do you guys go? I'm like, I had three young people, God bless those young people, during the 40 days that basically were like, we'll stay. I'm like, okay, I think we're sleeping at my parents tonight. <laughs> I'm homeless right now. This is amazing. A Harvard student gets a hold of me and says, you know, I'm leaving for three months. I have one bedroom apartment. Do you want to use it? Can you just pay the rent on it? Sure, sure. We camp out in this apartment for about three months. We prayer walk Harvard three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. My little team of the four of us, well, four included me. We did our deal. We were a house of prayer, even though we had no place to meet. We do that. Long story short, I'm looking at houses left and right. Kind of, I'm like, where am I going to come with my team? At this point, Lou's like, you need to start an internship. I'm like, I'm like, what people? I mean, it was just crazy. I'm looking at houses. No lie, I look at a house for $3,500, and I have no provable income whatsoever. And neither do any of the young people that are following me around. No provable income. I go to put in my application, and I say to the kids, I go, you know what? We're gonna hear tomorrow, but I had a dream last night that house is too small. And they're like looking at me like $3,500. And it's much bigger than the one bed that we're in right now. You know, like, and I just said, I, I saw the house in, the, in my dream. I was like, I know the one we're going to, and that's not the one. And at this point, they're thinking, this girl's lost her marbles. Like, she's just <laughs> gone fruity on us. So they did not, that smaller house denies me. The next day, I end up viewing this other house for four grand, $500 more. Thank you very much. And like I thought I had like great negotiating skills. I was like, can you take thirty nine hundred? I took it down, but a hundred bucks, which great. I mean, it's how I fed them all oatmeal for a month. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, at, at the end of the day, they committed to the thirty nine hundred. I have no idea how I'm gonna pay the rent every month. We get into this house. I'm like, we're establishing a house of prayer. This is how you do it. You just get down to the trenches and you pray. We're just going to pray. That's my only plan. We're going to pray. So we did. We would do 40 days on water. We would do all night prayer. We would, and I kid you not, we're in this house. Mind you, it's a big house. They're all like, how do we furnish it? We had a young couple come and join us for a period of time. They were students. And practically, it just did not work for them to be involved with house prayer. They had too many commitments for school, too many social things. It was just night and day. So when they needed to move out because of other commitments, that we're left with a completely empty house. Like, the house is empty. They're like, Bethany, I don't think we even have a fork to eat with. I'm like, hmm, that's a problem. So I ended up getting a phone call, and someone's like, I had a shipment of furniture come in that, you know, we're willing to donate. I go see it. It's all Pottery Barn. <laughs> it's like, no lie. Actually, the rugs that are in the prayer room to this day were in that shipment. It furnished our entire, entire house. And in all honesty, pastors from the city that I'd be meeting with would come over, and you know, they knew I was like, you know, early 20s, all on my own, clueless, just trying to work it out. And you know, they'd walk in the house and be like, is that pottery barn chair? And I'd be like, who's kidding? Who's donated? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the kids are living off the boat. <laughs> but all this to say, the absolute, every single month, I would wonder, how am I going to pay $3,900? How am I going to... Checks would literally come. I won't even tell you the names of the people from all over the nation. Leaders that you know. And I don't know how they knew I needed to pay rent. I don't know how they knew what they knew. Because we didn't even have a website. I don't think. <laughs> Do we have a website? <laughs> um, but yeah, checks would just come in the mail. Like, they literally would come. And I mean, when I say checks, like $5,000 checks, I'm like, great. I'll put that in, pay every bill that's owed, and then it goes back down to zero again. That's awesome. That works. Okay. So this is the first year, and mind you, I'm like, okay, I think I'm done 
with this. Like, I mean, we prayed our hearts out, but I was like, I'm all set. Like, I don't like having the overhead and wondering. I saw God provide, but I'm like, I want to pray. I don't want to be, like, doing up. So, long story short, my landlord at the time, that she had a commitment that she was going to be moving into the house that I was in. She was like, this is a one-year deal. At the end of the year, you're going to be moving out. Fast forward, at the end of that year, she's contacting me, and she's a real estate agent. She's like, Bethany, there's this house on Western Ave. She's like, it's a historical building. She's like, it's being completely gut renovated. She's like, you can do your prayer room deal at the bottom and have people live upstairs. And, I, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm getting out. I'm like, I'm going to find the one bedroom. I'm going to lock myself in. I'm just going to pray to the city. That's what people were told me to do. Pray to the city. I'm going to do it without it costing me so much money. I'm like, this is insane. So, you know, she's telling me, she's like, I think it's the perfect setup. I think it would work for you. She's a cute little Jewish lady. So I'm pretty much like, this is not working. I then... It's probably like a week before we have to move out of the house. I'm like, I'm just going to look online. I think I find a one bedroom. There's a cute picture of this side entrance door. I'm like, this works for me. Call the number on it. When I call the realtor, he goes, hi, I'm your realtor that got you. I'm going to tell him my name. He's like, I got you the house on 62 Canard. I'm like, oh, okay. And um, he's like, I've actually been calling you and trying to reach you about this same property. I was like, the one that I'm calling you about, 135 Western? And he's like, yeah, that's not a one bedroom. I'm like, oh, it's not? He's like, it's a duplex. You guys that have been there, you know it. He's like, this is, I've been calling you about this because when you moved into the other house and you were using like a prayer room and needing, you know, living space, he was like, this is the perfect fit for you. He's like, it's 4500 At that time, it was $4,500 a month. I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not interested. I was like, I'm downsizing. At that point, it was me and one other person. I pretty much had downsized our team. I was like, I'm all set. Like, I can't do all this by myself. Me and one other person, I'm like, we're going one bedroom. We are going to pray for the city. Long story short, my uncle calls me, wants to send me to Europe for three weeks. I go to Europe for three weeks during that time. While I'm there, I go to Herrenhead, Germany. The Lord speaks to me about the Moravian Watchtower, and I'm like, yes, Lord, two by two. That's what I call them. Just two intercessors. That's all I need. I want to see an inbreak in your kingdom, but I don't want to do all the practicals. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, I'm like, two by two, Moravian. That's what I call them. You know, and so I'm there, and the Lord's, like, speaking to me. But in the midst of it, I'm standing in front of this huge building, and it looks like a mini version of our J-Hop house now. And my mom turns to me, she goes, does that place look just like that house in Western Ave they're trying to get you to rent? And I was like, it does. It does look like that. She's like, what's the name of it? And in, in French, it, well, in, in French, it's Palace of Justice, pronounced very differently, but it's House of Justice. She goes, ooh, House of Justice. She's like, so I literally am like, okay, God, if this is you, I, need, I literally come back from Europe going, I just don't think I can do this. I get a phone call from a lady that I didn't even know. She's asking me, like, what do you think? What, what do you see the handprint of God on? I'm like, I'm downsizing. I'm an intercessor. I want to go to a one-bedroom and pray for the city. She's like, is there any properties that have come to your attention? I was like, well, there's one, but I'm not interested. Tell me about that property. Okay. Tell her about the property. She's like, I'm going to give you first-class security, and I'll guarantee your first year's um, rent on that house. You need that house. Uh oh. <laughs> so literally, somebody financed the whole first year for, and not only that, she's continued. How many years later are we into this? <laughs> she didn't finance the rent on it, but it's the same person who Daryl and I are married, I get pregnant, and at that point, I mean, honestly, things had changed in Rome and all of that, but at that point, I'm thinking, I can't be a full time mom, a full time wife, leave this ministry. My husband was working 80 hours a week. 
And so the weekend that Lou was coming to ordain us, he was ordaining us and he was also dedicating our son um, that weekend. I can remember just saying to the Lord, oh my gosh, what time? What time is it? What happens on these days? What time can we end? I know, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm looking for like the 540 mark. I was like, oh, it's 11, what? I'm like, God, this is our evening service. I'm like, okay, so we ended, what time? Okay, so I need to end now. Uh, <laughs> no, so she's she's coming. I mean, Lou's coming. And as he's coming that weekend, I tell the Lord, I'm like, I know this is going to be crazy prophetic. I know he's going to have words for Boston, New England, and me. I said to the Lord, I need a heck of a lot more than a word. I was like, this is impossible. This is impossible with him working 80 hours a week and what I'm doing. And so I wasn't going to tell Lou that I was just thinking of passing it over, passing it on, shutting it down or something. That weekend, Lou and the individual that had been financing the house, you know, for those couple of years, they sat down with us and they said to Daryl, they're like, there's no way Bethany can do this by herself. You need to be fully funded. This woman at that time was paying the house, the total cost of the house, and then she began paying his total salary as well. Wow. And within that, so within that month, like literally, I had nothing to debate the Lord about. <laughs> he was fully funded, and in all honesty, we brought it before the Lord, realizing that that might only be a year, and obviously when you're doing a house of prayer and you're focused on getting people to pray, it's not like there's money coming in for that. Um, but we just held it before the Lord and just said, we're going to trust you. You know, even if it's just a year that she funded him. Um, but the provision of God, not only for the house, I mean, the fact that that house is there, the fact that prayer has been taking place all of these years, the fact that our family has been able to stand in the place of building a house of prayer. But really, I'm going to like completely fast forward um, to give you guys a little more perspective of where we are now, because now we're transitioning to morning services. Um, so... That while we're in that house, just to wrap this up, I I was living in the house before I was married to him. And while I was living there one morning, you know, I'm kind of waiting before the Lord all of these words about student volunteer missions. You know, I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's prophetic words, and you can see them very clearly, and you have hope for the grandiose of what it will be. But in the interim of getting there, there's such a distance. <laughs> there really is a distance. There's long days, hard work. Places where you see lack, places where you know your incapability, all of those things. And, you know, I was kind of one morning just giving the Lord all of these old words about the student volunteer missions. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, that is what it's unto. I know it is. But here I am in the gridlock of building a house of prayer, trying to get people to like to pray. You know, it's just <laughs> all of those practicals of like, how do you see that? So one morning, I said to the Lord, I was like, there was a book that I wanted. It's actually called The Evangelization of the World in This Generation. It's by John Armand. And I really wanted it. And I was on a missionary salary. And so I couldn't really afford more than one copy. And I more just wanted God to speak to me. So that day, I went online, and I was going to order one copy. And I have a friend. He's actually now leading a missions organization, and we work closely with him. But at that time, he was not involved with missions at all. But I knew the Lord was bringing him that direction. So I said to the Lord, I was like, I'm going to buy this book by John Armand, and I'm going to order it for this friend of mine. He was in Kansas City at the time. And I said, I'm going to order it. And I just said, God, if you've truly, truly, if this is a word from you about the student volunteer missions movement, and if you are going to bring this out of Boston, provide a book for me. Just provide one for me, the way I'm providing for someone else. That was just my simple prayer. And I'm thinking, maybe down the road, the Lord will confirm this. I order the book, have it shipped to my friend. I go to the post office that day, our j Hot post office. And when I go there, there's literally a box. 
in my mailbox. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. It was from Lumen Resingle. I'm like, oh, they sent me something. I open it up, and inside of it is, which has all the writings of John Amat in it, but in it is um, Students in the Modern Missions Crusade, and it's every writing, and then inside of it, Lou writes, Dear Bethany, I believe that you will be used to dig the wells of John Armand. May the Ivy League schools be for the healing of the nations. Our love and our prayers are with you always. We love you, Lou and Therese. And you know, interesting thing is he's referencing a dream during that first 40 days, you know, as we were getting ready to launch the House of Prayer. Many times during that time, I thought, God, what am I doing? Like, I, I want to see compassion ministries. I want to see a missions movement. And here I am in the midst of, you know, intellectualism and education. During that time, one of the key players of those 40 days um, had a dream. And in the dream, this is what he saw. It was probably one of the most defining things for me. He saw masses of young adults. And the young adults had welts on the temples of their head, big lumps on the temples of their head. And he said that when he looked at the welts on the temples of their head, he asked the Lord, he said, what is that? And the Lord replied to him in the dream, and he said, it's poison. It's Ooh. poison ivy on the mind of a generation. And he said the Ivy League universities were intended to be the leaves of healing to the nations of the earth. And instead, they poison the mind of a generation. And it's the understanding of what has been released from these universities truly has been poison to the mind of a generation. But I, we don't have time today, but I would encourage you to look at some of the history, even of Harvard. Harvard was established and founded to raise up min, a, a literate ministers, of literate ministers of the gospel, so that they would be a literate ministry shepherds. And the understanding that what we're praying for for the city, it's not anybody's good idea. It's not something that someone just conjured up. If you go to Harvard, I want to, we should schedule this within the next couple of weeks, do a little walking toward Harvard. Yeah. It's written in stone. Yeah. Yeah. The intended, you go to the, one of the main gates, and it's literally the first covenant of why Harvard was founded, was to raise up ministers of the gospel. You go to uh, the philosophy building, and you guys know the story of it. They wanted to inscribe on it, man is the measure of all things. And instead, the president at that time had them inscribe um, Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And we have to understand it's worship that is triumphing over humanism. What we've come here to do is not to engage in a hand-to-hand -hand battle or see whose doctrine or theology or philosophy can trump the other. What we have come to do is establish a worship movement to call us as believers, if for nothing else, be extravagant worshipers of Jesus Christ. Lay down our lives in love and adoration and abandonment. And let's just see what he does. Like, we don't have to have a game plan. We don't have to have an awesome strategy. You don't even have to have money. I didn't have a penny in my pocket. I was clueless, had no idea. But what I knew was I had a word from God, and I was going to worship him with everything within me. And this is what I want to say to our community. We're in a time of transition. We're transitioning to mornings. There's practical things changing. But we have, this is just, you guys have just seen a glimpse of some of the prophetic words, but not only prophetic words, crazy, profound confirmations that have come from far beyond me or him or one of you, but far beyond our, our scope, our reach of influence, of people that have spoken and said, this is God's heart and this is God's desire. And then what you have is when you go to the philosophy building to pray for Harvard, you're not just praying, God, I wish you would revive this university. God, I wish you would do something because it's my desire. You have it inscribed there. 
What is man that thou art mindful of him? that the Son of Man, that you would visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor and strength, that God desires to birth a worship movement. And you know what that will produce? Is lovers that will give their lives and go to the ends of the earth, no matter what it looks like. I'm going to read you guys this one quote. Have you guys ever read um, Campus Awakening by Edwin? Oh, here it is. It is utterly impossible to divorce the story of the student of student awakenings from the course of missions in countries overseas. From the beginning, from the beginning, one of the most immediate and dramatic effects of college revivals has been the recruitment of of personnel for the work of Christ abroad. And it's this understanding that the fruit of awakening on college campuses is those that will then give their lives for the preaching of the gospel. The extraordinary thing is that, and I didn't even get into it, but um, Derek Prince was one of the key words that God spoke to us in 2006 when we were starting the House of Prayer. He spoke a word at Tremont Temple, and what he said is that um, Boston is the Jericho of the United States. And when the walls of pride and intellectualism fall, that the Lord will pour out his spirit across the whole land. And Jared Prince also, he was a resident, he was a, he was a, um, what it, he was born in England. What is it called, resident, or he was, whatever that is. He, but in England, but he actually had, a, and the reason he ended up becoming a citizen in the United States is he saw a map of the United States. And when he saw the map of the United States, he literally saw out of Boston a flame of fire erupt. And he said that when the flame of fire erupted, that fire literally went around the entire globe. And it's that what we need to understand is that the, the colleges that we have in this area, the nations of the world are coming here to receive an education. But what one of the prophets that had called me out said to me, he said, they think that they're coming for an education, but they're truly coming for the fire of God. And that when there's an impartation of the fire of God, when people come to this geographic location, that fire spreads almost instantaneously. Most of you know banning... Um, from Jesus culture, the first time I met him, I was walking in the back of an auditorium and he was preaching. And when he called me out, he did say, he didn't know I was from Boston, he didn't know I was, I'd literally just been meditating on Derek Prince's word about this flame of fire erupting around the globe. He called me out and he said, Bethany, he said, I see like a flame of fire. And mind you, this is not about me, this is about our ministry, this is about us as a community. He said, I see like a flame of fire. And he said, the Lord is intentionally restraining fire. He said, he's restraining it. He said, but I see that when he lifts his hands, he simultaneously blows. And when he blows upon it, it encompasses the whole globe. That's exactly the vision that Derek Prince had of Boston. And it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with this geographic location, a worship movement that he desires to release that would touch the nations of the earth. And so, you know, we're in transition right now, but part of what we wanted to do is as we're starting our 10 a.m. services, we're doing our training today for worship and prayer leaders, is we want you guys to continually have the prophetic perspective of what are we here laboring for. We're not here just to build a church community where us... You know, us and no more, that we can know each other's name and make sure we have a good meal train if you have a crisis. We want that. But in addition to that, we understand that in the place of community, there's something that God wants. You know what? Every family, it bears fruit. It has children. It multiplies. And that's what God wants to do out of this community, is a praying community that there's the fruit of salvation. And that Boston fulfills its intended purpose. 
is spoken of right from its very womb, from Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan, I, I'm sorry, Jonathan Winthrop, you know, Jonathan Edwards, and even John Armand. Why don't we stand to our feet? I would just thank you, Father, for the community that you have brought to this place. God, we thank you, Father, that you are building and establishing a family. And God, we thank you, Lord, that as much as we are Hilltop Church, Lord, that we have been birthed out of and born out of the house of prayer. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that even though none of us is skillful or wise or capable in our own abilities, God, that this is your desire. And God, we've actually seen, Lord, that you supernaturally have not only established, but you've sustained us and you've multiplied us. God, we thank you, Father, even for the season that we are in with the house of prayer. But God, we say today, God, we remember your words. We remember your promises. We're reminded of all that you've said that you desire to do. And God, we come into agreement as a community and as a corporate body and God, we say that we are not living to see our own dreams fulfilled. God, we don't want to live with small-minded dreams, but God, we desire to see your dreams fulfilled. God, we say as a community, God, let the dream that you gave to Governor Winthrop be fulfilled in our generation. God, let the dream that you gave to Jonathan Edwards, an extraordinary move of prayer, that would bring the gospel to the nations of the earth. God, let it be fulfilled in our generation. Let us be a people that live our lives to see those things come to pass. God, we ask God that even as John Armand came to Bradford, Massachusetts, or declaring that there would be another missions movement and the evangelization of the world in one generation, God, we ask, Lord, that we truly would be a Malachi for people. Lord, that we would honor our fathers and our mothers. God, that we would hear and listen and adhere to the dreams of their heart. And Lord, that we would see them fulfilled. And God, make us a people, Lord, that do live unto ourselves, but we live for our posterity. Lord, that future generations Lord, would receive an inheritance, that they would receive an impartation and a blessing because of the way that we walked and the way that we lived. God, we say make Boston a stepping stone for the gospel to the nations of the earth. God, we thank you that the students and the internationals that you brought to this city, that they have not come here simply for a degree, but they have come for the fire of God. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that even out of this company, God, that you would raise up firebrands, Lord, to preach the gospel. Lord, we ask, Father, for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire. God, we say that we need a fresh visitation of your spirit. God, we need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask, Father, even in that little prayer room where prayer is happening every day of the week, God, we say visit us in that place. Lord, I ask that you would mark our community, Lord, with a fresh cry of desperation that nothing but your presence will satisfy us, Jesus. God, you say we are not satisfied with structures of religion and building organizations. God, we're not satisfied with building things that satisfy the heart of man or even the ear of man. But God, we want that which moves your heart. God, we want that that brings the inbreak of heaven. God, we say give us an appetite for your glory. God, give us a vision for your glory. Lord, that we would not 
the nations of the earth. God, give us a heart for the lost and the dying and the broken. God, give us your heart. Give us your vision. Ruin us with heavenly vision, God. God, deliver us from small-minded thinking. God, deliver us, Lord, even from terminal mindsets that end with ourselves in our own bank account and identity. And Lord, give us an understanding Lord, of a burden for a city and a nation. God, enlarge the capacity of heart, our hearts. God, awaken dreams, God, within our community. God, that we would dream your dreams. I ask, Lord, that we would be marked as a community of dreamers. God, I ask, Lord, that where the dreams begin, Lord, that in that place, God, that our giving and our sacrificing and our abandonment and our devotion and our obedience, Lord, would pick up and continue until those dreams come to pass. God, we say, find us faithful. God, you have spoken too clearly. God, you have made your will and your desire known. You've confirmed it over and over again. God, we say, our heart is bound to the pilgrimage. God spoke to me one time when I was getting ready to preach. This was like in 2002. There's a book called The Ten Greatest Revivals in History. going to preach on revival history, I always had a desire to see it. And the Lord literally broke in when I put my hand on that book to go preach. And I, when I put my hand, I heard the audible thundering voice of God. It shook me in my very core. And God said to me, he said, the greatest revival in the history of man is within your womb. It's not my womb, it's the womb of a generation. He said the greatest revival and what we need to understand is we've seen different moves of God we've seen the healing revival we've seen things and aspects restored in the body of Christ through awakenings but there, there is a coming move of God that is the culmination of all of those things God I thank you Father that you would ruin our community with that vision of the greatest revival in the history of the God, that where there is great darkness, God, where there is great perversion, Father, that there is a release of great grace and a great outpouring of your spirit. God, we say, come to the Lord. As Bethany was sharing and as she was speaking, I just feel like the Lord might want to commission us this evening. I feel like some of us have even fought uh, in our minds and in our heart that there you know, spiritually, you just hear a lot that this is a very barren, dark place to be, but I feel so differently in my spirit than that. I feel like this city, that this New England area has the wealth of the richness of revival history. And I think God would see fit to commission us. I don't know what that looks like. No, but I, I think he wants to mark us. You know, we don't just pray in that prayer room to experience God and his love. We pray for the dreams of our fathers. We pray continually into the prophetic words of men like Derek Prince and John Watt. 
I feel like God wants to commission some of us this afternoon. I feel like some of us have wanted to escape. You know, we've wanted to kind of flee this region just because of its darkness, its, its dullness. And I believe God wants to turn that around in our hearts. I feel like He wants to call a remnant to actually marry the purposes of God for this city. I, I believe God is calling us to yoke ourselves with His dream and His vision to this city. It's not easy. I remember Bethany, particularly with leaders, when she would come and share her heart about what she was going to start. And they'd be like, you're going to start a house of prayer. Are you so good luck, sister? For nine years, I believe, nine years, eight and a half, about somewhere around that, we've been bringing before the Lord continual worship, intercession, and prayer. And you have to understand that today, we stand here not because we first decided to plant a church. The church, this church, was birthed for prayer. And now, years later, we still stand not only as a church, but a house of prayer. I believe God wants to mark us. I think God wants to give us an ache within our hearts to pray until we see the dreams, the prophetic words take place that we've heard about today. You know, we but barely scratched the surface of our history. We but barely even touched the surface. But if that's you, if you feel it today, I'm not saying that you have to be, you know, bowling or any manifestation, but if you feel a certain kind of commitment in your heart to the purposes of God for this city, I want you to come to the front right now. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray together that God would mark us. I know it's lunchtime. If you could dial down the compression on my voice, please. 